Good morning. How you feeling? All right. I hope you're good. A couple weeks ago, we uh, began. We set up a journey. We we said that the spirit and the and the the true freedom comes at the intersection of spirit and truth. That's what we determined. The Bible says. And last week. We started a series in Galatians. We looked at Galatians 1, and what we learned is that God is using our present disappointments to develop us for our future blessing, our future breakthrough, that thing that He's promised to us that maybe, maybe we have yet to see and we maybe even thought is, is not even available to us anymore, but it's still out there. And God is using this time to develop you. This book, as we turn to chapter 2, I need to remind us, is a defense of the gospel. In fact, it's the first of 13 epistles that Paul will write in the New Testament. And it is incredibly important to him. It's a special book to him. It's a defense of the gospel against the bondage that comes by legalism. And he said, if we're going to experience true freedom, and if we're going to allow ourselves to be truly developed in the way that God desires us to so we can meet him and be the people he wants us to be so we can sync up and advance the kingdom at that place of future blessing, then we have to, last week we learned, change our perspective. We've got to have his perspective on the matter. We've got to change our position. We've got to let him lead. And we also have to change our prayer. We've got to stop praying, God, just get me through this. Just help me survive it. And we've got to start praying, God, teach me through all of this. Get to me through this. Show me. So what Paul's trying to help us understand in his message, even as we turn the corner in chapter 2, is this. In this book, we need to stop rushing through life trying to answer one question. What's next? How many of you have that question before? You're like, what's next? I, I just need to know what's coming. He said, I don't need you thinking as much on that question as I do this next one. You need to slow down, you need to consider, and become incredibly intentional by answering this question. Who is next? Not what's next, but who is next? You see, we have to allow God to develop to the point where we reflect His image in us, this new life that He truly gave us. It's what we just sang about. It's what John the Baptist said when he said, less of me, more of him. That's what I have to be praying. What am I to become next? How do I bear more of his image next? Who is he making me to be in his image? Who are we going to be next? And then that beckons the second question. It's the ministry question. It's the missional question. And that is, who am I called to next? Who am I to next invest in? Who has God entrusted to me as someone who neither, either needs to be freed by the gospel or developed within it? Who am I supposed to give my life unto? And so this is the missional question. This is why we exist on the planet. This is what we're here for. This is our ministry. It's who we are called to. Today I'm going to give you five points. Four of those are questions. And one of them is the very title of the entire message. Who are you called to? When you have a mission statement as a church that says, we're doing whatever it takes to develop disciples of Jesus Christ who gather, grow, and go, that question and that mission isn't about what's next. That mission is about is who is next. It's not whatever. you got to focus on who's being developed. And God has entrusted people in your life and mine. As much as he's developing us, he's entrusted us to develop them. Our mission as his church, I want you to write this down, it's very important, is to preserve the purity of the gospel and to keep it from free of perversion as we offer it to others who need it. We are here to preserve the purity of the gospel. And how many of you have 
experienced in your religious experience some perversions of the gospel. And it could be anything, gospel plus, that we add to the, to the message that Jesus freed us, the simple message. We can overcomplicate so much. The simple message is this, that we could not save ourselves, so God came and he died so that we could live. It's as simple as that. And so often, we overcomplicate it by trying to add things to it. And this is what Paul's saying. Do not add to the thing that sets people truly free. Humanitarian efforts, if you're someone who's a bleeding heart, go, I want to help all the physical needs of the people. That's great. But if that lacks truth, they are not truly free. Amen? So the gospel, that intersection of spirit and truth, is where we find true freedom. As we turn to chapter 2, he says we have to be able to preserve that. And so chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Then after 14 years, pause, 14 years, Last week we talked about this. We learned that Paul was saved at 28, knocked off his horse literally on the Damascus Road, went away to Arabia for the revelation of God for three years by himself. The exact amount of time that Jesus spent with every single apostle that we know of in the New Testament. So when people like the Judaizers were challenging his authenticity as an apostle, he had the exact amount of time with God by himself that every one of the disciples who would become apostles like James and Peter had with the Lord themselves. So this is authentic. And he says, I went away for 13 years, then I went away to Tarsus, my hometown, for 10 years and was developed. And then I spent a year in Antioch helping that church develop, helping it understand and preserving the gospel itself, and helping them understand how to function in this New Testament church, Jew and Gentile, together. And then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, meaning he was compelled by the Spirit to go. And meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers that had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. He's talking about the Judaizers here. We did not, we did not even give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, the Galatians. Verse 6, as for those who were held in high esteem, the apostles, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentile, just as Peter had been the circumcised, the Jew. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle of the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, or Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised all they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor verse 10 the very thing I had been eager to do all along so first point I told you is a question here it is what are you called to fight 
What are you called to fight? What has God put you on the planet to fight? Paul would say you are called to fight lies. You're called to fight anything that is a perversion of the true gospel, the thing that he is writing about here to preserve and defense of. You're called to fight lies that come from the father of all lies, and they're spoken by tares among the wheat, those Judaizers that had mixed in with the church. And he says you're to speak up against those things that hold people in bondage, and they are used against ourselves and the ones that we love. He says, there's no real gospel at all, if you remember in chapter 1. He says, it's not a real gospel. If it's anything in addition to the fact that God gave his life so that we could live, then it's, it is not the true gospel. It's a false gospel, it's additional, and it's no gospel at all. So to answer this question, what are you called to fight? You have to think within your own mind the thing that drives you crazy. The thing that makes you righteously indignant. Much like Jesus in the, in the ministry of, of the Gospels, we watch him not once but twice walk into the temple and flip money tables over because the people there are manipulating the opportunity to worship for those who just want to get closer to God. Let me ask you this. What makes you righteously indignant like Jesus? And how did Jesus fight in the temple? What did he do? He fought that lie, that manipulation with truth. He came in and said, my house will be not a house of money changing, but it's supposed to be called a house of prayer. This is a place where heaven meets earth. This is where that kind of connection is supposed to take place. And he said, and I am righteously and in a holy fashion fighting against this. I have a struggle with this. Can I ask you something? What in your life causes you to want to flip money tables? Causes you to be righteously indignant? Causes you to fight the unholy with the holiness of truth and the love of the Spirit and fruiting, fruit born thereof? What are you called to fight as the church? There's got to be something that inside of you just drives you crazy. It grates you and you look at it and it's not okay to let people continue to be held in bondage by legalism. That's the thing Paul felt called to fight. He's, he's fighting this lie of legalism that is infiltrating the church of Jesus that is holding people in bondage because of the false gospel. And he says in discernment, he says in true discernment, that's not the gospel. This thing where you're asking Gentiles to be circumcised or you're trying to force them to continue to practice the law even though they've been freed by Jesus, that's not the gospel. And so he has a holy anger about this. And it says that he is not going to allow them to continue to be held in bondage by something that's not true. Legalism is this. I used this word last week, and I wanted to kind of help you understand the term a little better. It's simple. For those of you who are like, what is that term? It's this. It's any required obedience that is absent of faith. It's the knowledge that we have that is absent of truth and absent of trust. It is rule following that is without intention. The intention of developing a relationship with God himself. Not a, not a relationship with religion, but a relationship with him. And so, what is legalism? It's as effective as looking at people in the church and going, do it because I said so. That's about as effective as it was with you as a kid, and it's about as effective as it is with your kids. Amen? Do it because I said so. That's what he, he's saying. That's never going to work. He's fighting that lie, and he's fighting the Judaizers who are saying it. He says this lie needs to be silenced. This manipulating has to stop. And those who are speaking these things, they also need to be silenced. These lies and manipulations need to be taken down. 
these wrong interpretations, these human perspectives on Scripture, mission, and value. This is not true. It's not holy. And so he is saying it should be fought. It should be condemned. And the only way to fight it is with the truth. And here's why. The reason you should be righteously indignant about lies that hold your friends and yourself at bay and in bondage and stepping into a true and cultivated relationship with the Lord is because they're still in bondage. It doesn't matter how religious they look, they are still lost. Hello? So he says, you, what are you called to fight? You're supposed to fight lies that hold your friends in bondage, hold them captive. And it may manifest itself in a couple different ways. How many of you know someone? I just want, listen, let's class participation, okay? I want you to raise your hand if you know one or all of these things existed in one of your friend's lives. How many of you know someone who is insecure? Raise your hand. How many of you know someone who is hurt? Maybe even church hurt? Raise your hand. How many of you know someone who is battling depression? Raise your hand. How many of you know someone, and this one's a little bit different, on the flip, the other side of the spectrum, is a narcissist, widely arrogant. And here's what i got to tell you. Overpowering arrogance leaves people unteachable. If that's the side they're on, they're in bondage to their own pride and arrogance, giving them no room for freedom because they're unteachable. Crippling insecurity on the other side of the spectrum leaves people isolated. But both extremes, either one you look at, leaves people in bondage. And we're called to fight for the things that hold our friends captive. We're called to fight it with the truth because Jesus Christ fought for us. And here's, this is an encouraging statement I want to say before we move to the next point, And that is this, God isn't opposed to your efforts. Okay? As we talk about in a moment, the tools that God has given us. These are incredibly important in cultivating a relationship with Him. Whether it be reading the Scriptures, whether it be seeking counsel from the church, whether it be praying and following the Spirit, whether it be uh, thinking on the story that God has given you. Those things are incredibly important in cultivating a relationship with Him. But if they were taught to you as a way to have, listen, as a way to get, as a way to Now be in relationship with him. You were lied to. Hello? If any of those things were told to you as something you had to do to earn a relationship with Jesus, you were lied to. And if that's what you've been banking on or your friends have been banking on, you are in bondage. Still lost. Doesn't matter how many times you've graced the doors of a church. Hello? They are incredibly important for getting to know Jesus, the one who freed you. They're incredibly important to know how to bear more fruit of his image in his life. They cultivate a relationship, but they are not the means to salvation. Salvation is by him and him alone. They are not how you earn salvation. How many of you, that's good news this morning? Amen? That God loved you enough when you could not save yourself, he would die so that you could live. How many of you say that's good news? I didn't have to do anything except receive the gift. So what are you called to fight? 
What are you called to fight for? Paul says the gospel. Paul says you are called to fight for the gospel and the preservation of of. You're not to prescribe a list of religious checklists to people so that they can earn salvation. You're to preserve the fact that Jesus alone died for them and he alone is the intersection of freedom, of of intersection of spirit and truth, and that's where people find true freedom. And the only way they get to know him better is by doing some of these religious or scriptural or spiritual disciplines, if you will. That cultivates relationship, but it is not how we earn a relationship. It's not how we get salvation. So Paul says, what are you called to fight for? He says the gospel. Now, I need to clarify There are people here who are challenging the authenticity of his apostolic call because he was raised in the in the church. He was the or or Judaism. He was the Jew of the Jews, and he was even persecuting, killing Jews. I mean Christians. But here's the point: he was away for how how long? Thirteen years. He will, in the end, write thirteen epistles. When he goes up to Jerusalem right here just to affirm the accuracy that he has in the the gospel and to affirm his accountability with the apostles, submitting himself to them, putting himself under their leadership to say, is this right? Do I have a call to the Gentiles? I'm asking you to affirm it. I know that God has told me this, but I want to have affirmation from the church. And they say, yes, absolutely. He walks up in Acts 15 to the Jerusalem council. He's compelled to go to a meeting that involves James, all the Jerusalem church leaders, the apostles, and Judaizers, those who have infiltrated this meeting, who are trying to keep people who have been converted from Judaism to continue practicing the law. And he's trying to get people who have never practiced the law, Gentiles, to be circumcised and force them to become Jews before they become Christian. And so he walks up with both Barnabas and with Titus, a Greek. And he goes, I'm called to people like Titus. I want to make sure that my message is accurate. I want to know that I've got the right message and that you affirm my call to these people. Because I can't stand to keep watching lies infiltrate the church. So, of all the apostles that you read in the New Testament. Of all those we revere, there is not a preacher that has ever been more intent on guarding the gospel and its, and its purity, guarding the accuracy of the gospel, guarding the clarity of the gospel, guarding the priority of the gospel. It was always for Paul about the gospel. Amen? Thus it should be for you and I. He defends it in every single epistle that he wrote. In every letter he wrote in the New Testament, there's a defense of the gospel. And here he's defending against religious legalism. And here's what Paul would say. I want to I read to you Paul's summary of the gospel itself. Here's what it says. Mine is simpler, his is far more eloquent. In Titus 2, verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. No to ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself. We couldn't do it. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't purify ourselves. A people for himself, of his very own, eager to do what is good, eager to do what he desires, eager to advance the kingdom. And so 
the apostles and James affirm Paul in his accuracy of the gospel while he's there in Jerusalem during this 10 verses. Acts 15, of Jerusalem, Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. They go, yes, you've got it right. Everything you just said is completely about Jesus. It's Jesus-centric. Therefore, your ministry is gospel-centric. So go and take what you are given to the Gentiles. He went there intentionally and under the influence of his spirit, compelled by God to get the affirmation from these people, from this Jerusalem Council. He's like, look, I don't want to just write Galatians and say, I, I've been called by God and no man appointed me. I want to know that you see the calling on my life. And so he submits himself to the counsel of the church and those who have gone before him, those who are esteemed as high. And he goes, and he writes right here, we just read it. Like, though they're esteemed as high in value, there's no favoritism. It means nothing to me. They literally added nothing to my gospel, to my message. They said, I have it right they affirm me, I respect them, and I'm in submission, but I'm moving on. He went there to make sure he had the right message, right message and the right mission. And then he goes to fight the Judaizers. There are Judaizers present. He says, those who have even infiltrated this meeting that are trying to hold people in bondage. Now, I don't think that they were doing it necessarily intentionally. You need to understand what the Judaizers up against. They've been told their entire lives that the law and their study of it, their memorizing of it from word to word, cover to cover in the Old Testament, their, their physical mark in circumcision was proof of God's holy favor on them. They'd been taught this their entire lives. So now they hear this message that's given to the Gentiles that Jesus frees you and frees you for all time, and you don't have to do anything. How many of you think, they go, that's not fair? They're going, what? And it says that Titus, Titus wasn't compelled to be circumcised. You know why? Because it's not good news for a grown man to hear he has to be circumcised. That's not good news. I wouldn't be compelled either. I get the point. I understand. Good news was that Jesus died so that you could live. So what are you called to fight? What are you called to fight for? And who are you called to? Who are you called to? This is the people or the, the person, the people group that God has called you to in, in gospel community. That you're called to like they you see what is holding them back and you get righteously indignant and you want to go to these people, give your life to these people, spend your life with them so they would be freed and developed in the gospel. And that, and that gospel community could expand from their lives to other people. Who has God designed you to free by the gospel and he's made you most passionate about? For Paul, that was the Gentiles. For James, for Peter, for the other apostles, that was the Jew. Man. How okay, let me just let me let me take this to another section here. If you were to walk into a room and uh and you saw some people, there were some abused people there, the, some forsaken people there, some lied to people there, some lonely people there. If, uh, if you walked into a room and you saw this shy, quiet teenager over in the corner who can't even lift her head, she's just buried in her, in her phone, 
How many of you feel immediately drawn to that person? How many of you see a deaf person or someone with another handicap, maybe even a, a gross mutation, something they can't help, and, and no one will look at them. They're kind of like ostracized by themselves. You feel called to go to that person more than you do the teenager. Maybe you're in that room and you see this, this woman who's continually lied to habitually by her spouse because she has a mistress. Even if, that, even if he has the mistress of work because he's a workaholic and he has made promises to her, but he continues to break those promises because he is running to work and that's, he's trying to find his value in that. But you want to come alongside her and remind her that she is free and she's not alone. Or maybe you feel called to the elderly man who has spent his life for his family, but now in his last days when his memory is not so good anymore, he has his own family stealing from him, and you want to fight for the truth. You don't want to see this man robbed. It could be someone altogether different, but how many of you go, of these four people, I find someone in there that I'm most called to. I'm, I'm fighting for the lied to. I'm fighting for the manipulated. I'm fighting for the ostracized. I'm fighting for the isolated. I'm fighting for that person that doesn't feel loved. And they don't believe they can ever be loved. So they can know the truth of the gospel. Who are you most drawn to? Who are you going to go spend time with? Who are you going to give your life to? Who can you not wait to minister to due to your own broken heart for their situation? For for the Jews, they had the apostles. They had James. They had people who had grown up in Judaism, were incredibly educated in Judaism. No one more educated than Paul, by the way. Saul of Tarsus was the Jew of the Jews. But they had this team of men who were going to give the purity of the gospel to people that had been taught their entire lives that it was by Judaism, by the law, by circumcision, by that way. And they said, no, it actually is just this simple. You don't need to overcomplicate it. But then the most educated of those men, the one who knew exactly how, what Jews felt, he, he had been trained by them, he knew how to teach like them, he knew exactly what they thought, and that man was taught to go to the Gentile, who the Jew, the Judaizer, was coming and trying to pervert the gospel to. And so because he knew their argument, he knew exactly how to fight them, he knew what to say to them, and he was going to those who had never been under the law, to not be placed accursed under the law. And he was fighting for them. Who are you called to fight for? you got to consider this. What are your tools? Now, there was no one more educated in the way of Judaism than Saul of Tarsus, than Paul. I mean, he was the best of the best of the best. We looked at that last week. He was just waiting for his spot on the Sanhedrin. But Paul would say, I spent my entire life swimming in the wrong pool. I was born in Tarsus. I was born in a Greek province. I learned Greek as a child. But I was told that the Gentiles were dogs, and so I aspired to my best efforts, my best human insight, I aspired to significance and purpose by running the way that humans taught me to. And that was in Judaism with the holy and set apart people of God. That's what I thought. And here's what I did. In all of my education and all my experience, all I found was emptiness. And my life completely changed on the Damascus Road when I was knocked off my horse by God. He stopped me dead in my tracks. I met the Lord. He told me, why do you fight against my prodding you? And in that, that's my story. I changed. I went away for three years thinking I was ready, and I just had revelation time with God in the desert. I came up, I learned I wasn't ready. So I went back to Tarsus where I was groomed, where I was born, 
And even under the humiliating walk back to Tarsus and remaining there for 10 years, God continued to reveal more of himself to me. He used all that present disappointment to develop me into this future blessing. And now, here I am, 42, before the Jerusalem Council, affirming the gospel and my accountability to give it to the Gentiles. And I'm going to become the most known apostle. I'm going to write an epistle for every year that God trained me. To people. I'm going to birth churches, and from my hand, from the call God placed on me, people will be worshiping thousands of years from now in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Amen? This is the power of what this man is saying. And he goes, So my tools were my education. Romans 8. Even though I was swimming in the wrong pool, God used all this for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I had all the education and all the experience, so I know exactly what to fight and how to fight them. And my story was God developed me through my present di- disappointments, even though I thought I was ready before I was ready. It only used that to shape me that I would be ready for that present blessing, that breakthrough. And then he used the scriptures. He used his spirit. He used prayer. He started to reveal to me, even through the Old Testament, what he had been doing the entire time. I could see Jesus woven through that entire story, and that only fueled the truth of the gospel. And that's why I want to preserve it. The reality that it is by Jesus alone we are free. It has always been God's plan, and it's his plan today, and I want nothing, and I want no one to pervert that truth. I studied on my own with the Lord for 13 years to fight with empathy and compassion, understanding the kind of person who needs to be freed. And those are the tools he gave me. Can I encourage you, church, today you've been given tools. How often do you share your story? How often do you share the scriptures? How often do you share with other people how God has led you by his spirit, compelled you to go up and meet with someone? Jesus, it says that same word compelled was, Jesus was compelled by the Spirit of God to go meet with the the woman we read about just a couple weeks ago at the woman of the well in John 4. How often are we being compelled? These tools that have been given to us, gifts that have been placed in us when His Spirit, because of salvation, because of what Jesus did, was placed in our lives, these these spiritual gifts been put in my life that came down from heaven that I can utilize with other people so they can be freed, no longer in bondage. He gave those gifts that we might most reflect his Savior. And the only thing that gets in the way of those gifts and our tools is when they're dulled by our flesh. And I'm focused more on my way than I am his way. I'm focused more on my needs than what they need. That's why he said, love me with all that you are, And lift their needs above your own. What are you called to fight? Lies. What are you called to fight for? Truth and freedom. Who are you called to? That's a question only you can answer. But we all can answer this. We're called to the lost. And what are your tools? What's he put in you? And if you go, you know what? I'm really not quite sure who that specific person is. I don't know if it's the manipulated, the lied to. I'm not quite sure who I feel real drawn to go to right now today in this room. But I am grateful for the gospel. And I'm grateful that I'm called to fight for it. And I know that I can. And I know there's tools in me. So I'm going to practice those. And he says, so you go, well, Paul, where should I practice these? Justin, where should I practice these? Paul says in verse 10 of of Galatians 2, if you're not sure, practice among the poor. 
They're always going to be with you, he said in Matthew 26. They're always going to be. If you're not sure who you're called to today, go be with the poor. Matthew 26, they will always be amongst you. And here's why you need to go be with them. Because they already recognize their need. You don't have to convince them. You don't have to show them. They already recognize their need. And it is, listen, just like Paul was sent, Saul of Tarsus sent straight back to Tarsus, where he came from. Saul's going to be somebody. He goes, don't call me that name anymore. Call me Paul because the person that you placed all your hopes in also placed his hopes by my best efforts in human interpretation of what frees us. And that was a lie. So don't call me that anymore. Call me Paul. I'm setting my life apart for that. And I may only have a few years to live, but I'll make them count for the kingdom of God. I'm going to spend my life against those who are desperate and poor and left behind because they're spiritually bankrupt. The Gentiles have no idea that they can be freed. God allows us to practice amongst the poor, and he always puts them in our lives and never relieves them and removes them. Why? Because it's our humble training. It's not for them. It's for us. It's our humble training on how to fight through our own prejudices. Amen? To build a compassion and a humanity within ourselves. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip, ever served those who need it, and you got more out of it than they ever did? Hands raised. You saw the world as God does for the first time because you were able to take your eyes off yourself and your wants and place them specifically on their needs. So he says, if you're not sure who you're called to today, how much time are you spending with the poor? If you're never spending time with the poor, this is where you begin to practice. It's the development of your present disappointments into that future blessing that we discussed last week. So what is that blessing? Here it is. In conclusion, what's that blessing? What's that breakthrough? Are you ready for it? You ready? The one that God promised you years ago that you've been waiting on. The one you say, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that blessing. You ready for this? What is that blessing? It's you. It's the real you. The one he intended before you took your first breath. It's not the one that was tainted with sin because you were fought at the moment you stepped into this world. You were born into sin and you were born with sin in you and you were taught to fight for yourself. No, the real you is the one that's taught to fight for others. The real you is the one who embraces the fact that he fought for you and so you exist for other people. Saul says, I don't want to be known as someone who fights for himself. I don't want to be known as the best of the best anymore. I don't want to be known as the Jew of the Jews anymore. I want to be known as Paul. I want to distance myself from my old life, my old past. I want to distance myself. Call me Paul. That was what people taught me. Saul of Tarsus was what people told me. It was a title they gave me. And they said, if you just wear this title, you'll be happy. You'll be at peace. And that was a lie. How many of you have found that your freedom and your peace and joy doesn't come by your earthly pursuits? That it's empty? Paul says, no. No, I'm, I'm, I'm Paul. I'm not Saul of Tarsus. I'm Paul. I'm called to the Gentiles. This is my God dream. This is why he put me on the planet. It's my blessing, my promised breakthrough. And I'm embracing this version of myself. This is the real me, the one that God knew before anyone else did. 
There are gifts in me. There are tools in me. There's experiences in me. There's education in me. But he's called me to fight for the purity of the gospel. He's called for me to fight for the Gentile to hear it. I believed a lie, but I won't any longer. So this morning, who are you called to? What are you called to fight? What are you called to fight for within those people that you're called to? And what are your tools? What has he done in you? What has he done individually in you that he's already developed to this point that you can utilize because you hold to confidence in that message that Jesus died so that you could live and you give that to whoever it is that you become righteously indignant for? This is present kingdom. This is what it means for heaven to meet earth. It's for the church to be his ambassadors and be unleashed on the world to offer hope. This is what it means. It's about kingdom now as much as a future one. We're not intended to pray a prayer, sit in a pew, get dunked, and then wait for Jesus to return. Hello? And here's the thing. You're not a better version of that person by just attending Bible studies you do nothing with. Hello? You're only getting fat if you never exercise a faith that you keep reading about. That's never cultivated that relationship or trust in him further than just, I was told to do this, so I'm doing it. Hello? So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to do this right here. <laughs> you were called by God, designed by him with intention before the foundation of the world. So I want you to write your name down, your full name, middle name, everything. Justin, my mother always said my middle name when I was in trouble. You're not in trouble. What's your full name? What's your birthday? The day that everyone else figured out who you were, but that's only the day that your ministry began. That's the, God already knew you before that day, but that's the day your ministry began. And lastly, what is your ministry? Who is God calling you to? This morning as the band is making their way back up, these are the things I want us to consider I want us to pray on. And if you're here this morning and you go, well, man, I, I feel really burdened for these people. If you're listening online or you're in this room, can I encourage you? Humanitarian efforts are great. Justice is great. But true freedom, the Bible says, comes at the intersection of not just spirit, not just you being moved. It comes at the sec- intersection of truth as well. And so if your efforts in justice are absent of the gospel, they're still your efforts. Hello? They're your best effort, your best opinion, your interpretation of what it means for someone to be free. But if your efforts to go live and practice amongst the poor are driven because you were set free by Jesus who died so that you could live, and you, out of gratitude, just want everyone to know this truth— you become righteously indignant when you think about all the people who are being lied to right now. You think there are over 700 million people in the world right now who don't even have clean water. I want to go help them have that physical need because he was a, a well, everlasting of everlasting water in my life, and he's freed me, and I want them to have that physical need so they can have that spiritual need met in their life. This morning, I'm asking you to close your eyes. Father, 
Who have you called us to? What are you calling your church to fight for? What are you calling us to fight? God, you've done story after story in this room with the freeing by Jesus. God, this morning I have one question in response to worship. What are we doing with it as this church? In Jesus' name.